Can I share something with you guys? So when I first created this podcast, I didn't recognize or really realize how much this journey would impact my own understanding of the human experience. I didn't know that by talking to other leaders and entrepreneurs and people that I would then come to understand myself and others more deeply and more intimately. With that said, it is May and that is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, for me, that means telling more stories, digging into the psychology, the emotional depth of mental health and mental wellness. And I'm so excited to bring these stories to the forefront. I think that this is one of the most important months in our year for making sure that we all get the support that we need. It is equally important to recognize that we may all at some time struggle with our mental health, and that's okay. It's in these types of conversations and understanding where support lies, where your journey can begin from, where networks can uplift you, that you find yourself not feeling alone and isolated when you're at your lowest mentally and emotionally. That's why we do these talks. So let's start in five, four, three. One of the greatest philosophers of our time once said that when it's up, then it's stuck. Find out how to make your next big idea stick with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of experience in growing and managing businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that you are looking for. Welcome and have a great time. What's going on, everybody? This is Dion Brown, and you're listening to Man vs. Brand. I have with me Michael Harris, uh, who is an author, an advocate for the advancement of human thought, uh, a cultivator of leadership. We are very, very, very lucky and excited to have him on the podcast. Um, I think it's going to be a conversation that you guys enjoy. Not only for the fact that I think that Michael is a funny, witty, interesting person, I think that there's also something in his story to to share and the fact that he's such an advocate of telling stories. So with that being said, Michael, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Well, thank you, Dion, for, for that introduction. It's really super great to be here. I enjoyed our previous discussion, and I'm sure that I'm going to enjoy our discussion today perhaps even more. So I'm, I'm excited for our show. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Listen, I, I think that you, you, you come across people where uh, you feel like there are some threads of connection, right? Where you just feel like, hey, this conversation feels easygoing and organic and unforced. And I felt like that when I spoke, first spoke to you. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's... Sometimes it's almost like a spiritual type connection. And it's just like on some level, and from hearing some of your previous guests, I just, I really appreciate what you're doing and the message you're, you're trying to give. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. So why don't you, in speaking about messages, talk about yours. What are you passionate about? One of the biggest things I'm passionate about in life right now at this moment that I feel driven to do really more than anything else is helping people get messages and their stories out. I think in today's world, the way it is right now, it's even more important than ever to speak our truth, to speak up, to use our message perhaps to um, that other people will feel inspired or helped by 
whether that message is a marketing message, whether it's an inspirational message, whether it's a message about food or whether it's a, a, a message about money, it's that passion and it's getting that message out. Not everybody in, in the world has the freedom to speak their mind. And I believe that freedom right now is imperative that we utilize with our stories to get the message out that we're going to get the message out. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think what's, what's cool about that too, is that one, that's where the, the real connection comes from, right? Whether it's marketing, human interaction, what have you, the, the connections really come together when people are exchanging stories. Well, it, it, it's really been true since the beginning of man, as far as, far as I know, sitting around a campfire, you know, thousands of years ago, telling stories into the deep of night, telling the stories about being chased by the, the lion that day, or how many more kids, or what cave they're going to be in, or I can, I can only imagine what some of those stories were. And today, we are still sitting around that mythical campfire, sometimes a real campfire, and telling our stories. So I believe it's inbred, it's ingrained within us to tell stories. And again, we connect with that. So would you say that social media right now is, is our campfire? Yes. Some, sometimes I think maybe some of the adjoining bushes are catching on fire as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it can be all over the place. Yeah, because I think, I think it's interesting, right? Because social media, I think for a lot of people, the intent is to tell their story. But I think along the way, their stories become a bit different from who they are fundamentally or what's actually occurring in their lives. Uh, because in a way, you know, social media is a curation of the things that you want to share, not necessarily the transparency of what's actually happening. Yeah, that, that, that's so true. And there's so many different levels. I mean, on one level, I mean, I know somebody that is really involved in the law of attraction that looks at social media as whatever you put on social media, you're going to attract back to you, right? On yep. a personal level. And then there's, again, going back to the marketing level, can get into a little bit of hype and a little bit too much hype. So is that story really real? Yep. Are they being transparent? You know, and I'll, I'll briefly tell us a story. So, you know, I, one of the places that I realized in hindsight that I learned how to tell stories is when I was a kid. You know, I was second, third grade, and the teacher at Show and Tell would tell us to each of us to get up and tell a story about maybe what we did on spring break or maybe something that happened over the weekend. And we had like a minute to get up there and tell our story. So in many ways, even as a child, even as somebody in grade school, we were being, we were being taught how to speak in public and sometimes in a one minute time frame. Over, the, over a longer period of time, it might've been one minute, might've been five minutes, might have been 20 minutes, might even been a keynote speech somewhere along the line. But we want to get our voice out one way or the other. And I had so much excitement. I remember many times in show and tell that I wanted to say, oh, this is what I did in spring break. We went, 
we surfed on the beach of Hawaii, you know, at 10 years old and I was chasing the 12 year old girls. And you know, the, those type of stories were there, right? So you so were in an eight year old's Toastmaster club, basically? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Kind of, right? That's awesome. Yeah, right. That's right. amazing. Yeah. So, so listen, um, when we talk about stories, I think we're, we've, we've now covered a bit of a spectrum on one side, right? So you have your authentic story, let's say in the middle, then you have social media, which represents some part of our story. How do we get to the other side? How do we become vulnerable and transparent, uh, whether it's with a brand or with ourselves and, 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 and tell our story and tell it in a way that allows others to find some level of attraction, uh, some level of affiliation, some level of community with us or the thing that we're trying to put out there? That, that's a great question. Uh, uh, to help your listeners, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a way that we use to help people create story. And this is a, a framework that's used somewhat in the entertainment industry and other places. Well, if, if you're 40 years old, I don't know how old you are, but let, let's say you're 40 years old. That's close. Okay. Okay. <laughs> close, close enough. Close okay. enough. Yeah. You divide your life into five. So then you have eight, five, or you have eight year periods, right? Yep. For your life. Eight times yep. five is 40. Yep. And then each one of those time periods, those eight year chunks, you go back and go, okay, from one to eight, what are stories in my life? And then, then you do the same thing with the next time period, the next time period, and the next time period. Well, one of the things in utilizing that process that your listeners will find is perhaps stories that they had never considered. One of the, the discoveries I made by doing that particular thing was I really learned how to be an entrepreneur at six years old by picking blackberries in our field. Well, I never would have thought about that on the surface as a story to tell, but through this process, I was able to do that. So I was able to go back, tell a story that was true for me, be authentic in what that story is. Now, the next time period, uh, nine to 17, mm -hmm. I, I, I had some tragedies in my life. I had a chronic or a fatal, near fatal water skiing accident where I lost 60% of my liver, I had 21 blood transfusions, et cetera. So now that's another story that I can tell, which is much different than the first story. The first story is more of an entrepreneur story, how I got triggered by my dad. The other one was a health condition type story, one of those you know, overcoming adversity type stories. And you can go on and on and on. And then you can, you can create more stories, not just one story within each time period, but multiple stories and begin to pull those stories out and use those for different things. Maybe a, one of your listeners is marketing, is a marketing expert and they want to talk about marketing. Well, how do they find personal marketing stories? That's one of the, the ways to do it. This is a, a much deeper process because with the BlackBerry entrepreneur story, as, as I call it, can, can be used to talk about entrepreneurship. It could be talked about marketing. It can talk, be talked about lessons that my dad taught me as a child. I mean, there's different 
ways to look at that same story and the use of that same story within our life. And just even think about that, like with, if you're older and you have grandkids to be able to tell that story to your grandkid, to be able to perhaps write that story in a book, to perhaps use it on a website or a marketing email. You know, so there's multiple different ways to use one particular story. So let's, uh, let's talk about your story, right? Uh, <laughs> let's break out, you know, uh, your life into time periods. And let's talk specifically about entrepreneurship. What are some pivotal moments for you in your life that has defined your journey in being an entrepreneur? Well, well certainly it's the, the Blackberry entrepreneur. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He owned multiple gas stations. When he passed in 85, but he, he ended up with about 100 gas stations, several heating oil companies. He was a thrifty rent-a-car franchisee in, in Portland and in Honolulu. Um, he had his hands in many different things as well as property and such. And one of the things that he told me, even as a child, even as a young child, that find something that somebody wants and sell it to them, right? Got it. So that's, that, that's where I learned about the blackberries. I would come home covered with blackberries. We had a field filled with blackberries. Mom would make some blackberries. All the neighbor kids would come over because my mom, Mrs. Harris, always made the best blackberry pie, ice cream on top. You know, we would just gobble it up, gobble it up. And so one day I asked my mom, I said, what do you think, mom, if I go around the neighborhood in Selby's? And so we made a deal. We were going to sell them for a dollar. This was in the late 60s. She was going to get 50 cents. I was going to get 50 cents. And I'd go door to door because I knew my friends wanted. So my friend's parents would buy these blackberry pies that I would pick, my mom would make. I'd go door to door and I'd say, how many do you want? Not do you want to buy a pie? How many pies do you want to buy? Yes. So, I mean, I could sell two, three, four, five pies at a time, especially if that family had a particular event coming up. So I was doing what my dad taught me to do. I did the same thing with lawnmowers. Late, later on, I would go and I'd buy used lawnmowers that were traded in at Scotty's Garden Center. We'd fix them up. We'd put a new spark plug in it. We'd, you know, uh, clean them, get all the, the old grass off of that kind of stuff, and then turn around and sell them for 20 or 25 bucks. You know, people wanted to to cut their lawn. They wanted to have a nice lawn. So, it was so, about having utility, I think, right? So your, your mom taught you uh, about uh, splitting between the supplier and the person who's selling, and right. your dad taught you about supply and demand, right? So, so you figured out the transaction portion of it from your mom, and you found out the principle behind it from your dad. Right, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. That's some great learning. You pair that with your Toastmaster kind of young education and you are set up to be a really great salesman. Yeah, it, and that's interesting because we're always selling or enrolling on some level. Yep. Yet I don't consider myself like a salesperson. Like I don't go out and sell copiers or, or something like that. Right? Sure. sure, what, sure. What, what I try to do is... Um, Whatever it is that, that I'm working on. So like right now, it's Endless Stages is something that is a project that I co-founded. 
And so we, we've created uh, what we call, you know, podcast mastery avatars. So when we dive into an avatar, I mean, I got one, one of them right here, and I'm not going to read this whole thing, but we dive nice and deep into the individual person. Megan is a 36-year-old self-published author and entrepreneur. She's married to Mark, who works for a local marketing company. They have a seven-year-old daughter, Lana. Combined, they make $175,000 a year, live in a new four-bedroom home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we go through, um, you know, this particular avatar. We have multiple avatars, but we really dive in and find out what Megan wants as a speaker, how she wants to get her story out, who she wants to get her story to, you know, and it's just this whole process that, that we go through to help that. And I want, want to mention right, right now, we, we met through something called PodMatch. It's a yep. matching service for podcast hosts and podcast guests. Well, right now in the leaderboard, there's a leaderboard on there uh, the top 10 that they have there right now that Alex has. And four of our members are in the top 10 right now of that group. And Alex, and you know, he thinks we're going to take over the whole top 10, which we will. One day we'll, we'll have 10 people in there all at one time. We've had six at one time. We haven't got to the 10 yet, but we will. That's a goal. So, yeah. so let's talk a little bit about, um, your personal journey again. I love okay. hearing your life stories. So what's been a time that's been challenging for you? Um, and how did you overcome that challenge? Yeah, I, I mentioned the, the accident that, that I had, my water skiing accident. And after that accident, I had a near-death experience and I, I left my body and the, the spirits that were there there was some discussion and I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay where I was. And I found myself coming back. I had been in a coma. I didn't really know it till later, but I, I was in a coma. And when I came back, I reached out for them because I wanted to stay. I didn't want to go back. And I even said, I don't want to go back. Well, I was back. I didn't have a choice, right? I found myself where some people find that type of experience that I've heard, I, I want to say really of lightning at the time and they're, they're on fire and they, they have this strong relationship with God and, and spirit and all that. I got mad. I got mad at God because I didn't want to come back. So I was, I always had a belief in God. I was baptized Presbyterian, grew up in a Presbyterian church, yet I was mad. Because how could he let me go back? I wanted to stay where I was. So I developed some, I, I call it low self-esteem. I didn't have very good self-esteem for a long time. I didn't feel good. I had scars all over my body. I didn't want to take my shirt off. I went from the captain of the teams, you know, in, in school and in sports to that person that was picked last or not picked at all for teams. Wow. And so I, I really struggled through that. And then I found a couple of years later that if I started drinking and smoking a little bit of pot, the kids that were doing that didn't care. And so I felt accepted by that. I felt bigger than I was, right, mm -hmm. by doing that. 
And so I really started diving more and more into that world, started drinking too much for a, a number of years and struggled with that. And at the same time, I was learning to be a photographer late teens and, and into my 20s. I, I was doing a lot of photography, again, on an entrepreneurial type um, way. And I would travel around and, and do these, all, all these photo shoots. But then what happened, it was 1986, I was diagnosed with vascular disease. They told me my right leg was 100% blocked. My left leg was 65% blocked. I could barely walk and I was on a cane. And they told me it was likely that I was going to lose my legs. Well, they did a surgery on both my legs, which restored some blood flow at, at the time. But then eight months later, my legs were reblocked again. Wait, let me just pause you for a second. How old were you at this point? Just to give some perspective in time. 27. 27. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot considering all of the other physical things that had happened to you earlier in your life. You're now confronted with this idea of having uh, vascular disease. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't know what, my, my dad had died a year earlier from a heart attack. And, you know, he, he died at 58 years old. His dad died at 52 years old before I was born. I never met my grandfather and my dad's side. Grandfather, my mom's side, he died at 96. So he, he lived a long time. Yeah. Um, so my, my dad had died in, in 1985. And then 86 is, is when I had this initial surgeries and they wanted to do more in 87. And I left the hospital AMA against medical advice when they wanted to do additional surgery. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to get it back, but I didn't want to have more surgery. They didn't like it, but I left anyway. Yep. And I started getting sober. I started putting the, the drink in, in the, the pot away. It wasn't totally gone, but it was mostly gone. I ended up at a rehabilitation center in Southern California in Santa Monica, right on the boardwalk. They're kind of by the pier in Santa Monica called Pritikin Longevity Center. And at that time, I was walking about 10 feet with the cane before I had to stop walking because of the claudication pain in my legs. And the doctors down there told me to just keep walking into the pain. So I learned how to walk not only into the pain, but through the pain. So within two weeks, as I was walking up and down the boardwalk there at Santa Monica, I'd walk 10 feet and then I'd rest. Then I'd walk 12 feet and then I'd rest. Then I'd walk 20 feet and then I'd rest. Within a two week period, I went from that initial 10 feet to over two miles being able to walk without pain. So it was the walking and they also had a plant-based diet. Um, it was real woo-woo back then in, in, in the 80s. Not so much now, it's really common now. Yep. And I'm still primarily plant-based. Um, and then, and I'm 63 now, and I've been totally, completely sober since 30, so 33 years, more than half my life now. Absolutely. That's awesome. So, so let's, let's pause for a sec and talk about uh, this idea of, of keep walking into the pain. Was that the phrasing? Yep. That, that sounds like a book that I would read. <laughs> um, <laughs> it looks like that, that I know that's going to resonate with, um, with listeners, uh, it, it resonates with me because I think 
so often we retreat away from things that make us uncomfortable, right? We, we, we back away from things that cause us pain um, when sometime it's that uneasiness, it's that pain that allows us to move into our next step. Yeah. So you have now gone through uh, treatment uh, for your, your, your legs um, you are sitting, I'd imagine with the rest of this life in front of you, uh, you there, the option to go back to the place that you wanted to go when you were a kid is not available to you right now. What do you do with your life? What happens then? Well, that, that's a great question. The, the, the day I decided to be sober, it was after a drinking spree. And I was in the hospital and somebody came to me and asked me if I was ready to get sober again. And all that anger and resentment that I had towards God over the years totally like disappeared. And when I said, yes, I'm ready, it's like I felt a swooshing feeling. And it's the only way I describe it, called a swooshing feeling at that moment where I essentially turned my life over to the will and care of God. And I I felt stronger. I felt clear. I felt relieved of all these struggles that I had, the emotional struggles, the health struggles, the physical struggles, whatever it was, it just like almost instantly dissipated in that swoosh. So the swoosh, let's, let's talk, let's talk about the swoosh a little bit, right? Because I think that there's there's something interesting about someone who um, I in our conversations now perceive to be completely logical, right? Completely critical in their thinking and logical in their approach. Sure. But then something happens to you that doesn't have a definable word, right? It does. You're you're you're, def, you're defining a feeling. You're defining a sensation, right? How does that balance for you in your life, in your life approach, in your mindset? How does the fact that you're experiencing, whether it was when you were a child or in this moment that you're describing now, these very spiritual moments, but also we understand that we're primarily educated in a scientific approach to life and life phenomenon. So how did you find yourself in that space of, of reconciling that these two things existed for you simultaneously? That's a really great question. (laughs) (laughs) There's kind of several questions within that question as as well. I don't know if I can answer it with words. Okay. I just don't, I, I don't know if I can. So as I went through my life, you know, like I previously mentioned, I grew up at a Presbyterian church and went to church school um, there and learned this idea in my life of what God is and what God isn't. And then having had the experience of being in a coma and leaving my body and coming out and then walking through the pain, which incidentally was the working title of my book, was called Walking Through the Pain, and it ended up being falling down, getting up, and telling that story. 
one of the things I've I've recognized, Dion, in in my life, and have had to work through a lot, is as a man, I have um, a certain amount of, of emotions that maybe some other logical-minded man doesn't have, and I can get into all the personality profiles, the Myers Briggs, all those things, which seem to support that. But I struggled with that so much with that emotional side of me because I'd also been suppressing it. Yep. I, my self-esteem was, was low. I was drinking and running around with, with, the, with the wrong people. And now all of a sudden, this idea of God, which I had resisted for so long, was now going to save my ass. Because yeah. there was no, no, nothing else to save my ass. No man was going to do it. No woman was going to do it. No drug was going to do it. No cane was going to do it. Nothing was. I had nothing left at that moment. And so when I had that feeling that I call the swooshing feeling, it's just like, you know, sometimes like you get a shiver up your spine. Yes. It was, it was like having a shiver up your spine that lasted for a whole day. Got it. You know, because, ra ra rather than a few seconds or, uh, you know. Yeah, no, because I think that we, we do have these moments, right? We do have these moments where you feel like you're in alignment, right? You can't really quite articulate it to the next person, but you just know that you're in the right place at the right time, yeah. right? Where, where you know that the things that you had endured before were for this particular reason right that you that you're you're in a space where everything in your life story has led up to this critical moment and in essence you either decide to move forward with it or to walk away from it yeah and i think that oftentimes uh the the pressure to be intelligent academically as opposed to emotionally it will tell us to sort of deny the feeling and just follow whatever your mind tells you to do. When you right. know that it's not your brain that's functioning in that moment, it just feels like something, right? And, and so, so I think that, that a lot of folks, whether you're an entrepreneur, marketer, or leader, whatever you do, you come across these, these times where uh, you know that you're in a decisive moment in your life, right? Where you just feel it to the core of your bones. And um, just by hearing Michael's story, I think, it, at least it resonates to me that you, you go with that thing, right? Whether it's a swoosh, whether it's an aha, whether it's a shiver, um, whether you're having a conversation in a dream with someone, like listen to the fact that the universe is speaking to you and, and utilize everything else, all of the tools, faculties, uh, all of your education, all of what you've learned, to support that thing so that you can exist in the space that the universe is opening up to you. Would you say that that's like a, a, um, a solid recommendation for folks who are struggling with just being in their own, I guess being in their own way, right? Where like you're being led to something and, and the rest of your brain is telling you no and something in you is saying you should do it. Yeah. Because I would imagine too, like there's, you're, you're, there's a part of you at that moment that had been conditioned to drink, that had been, right? So your brain's telling you 
do more of that, right? We, we like that. We like the, the feeling that that provides, right? And, and then something else tells you, no, there's a different way. Yeah. And that, that last night that I had drank, I had not had a drink for 23 months. And then I started drinking and I didn't stop until I passed out and ended up in, in the hospital. Um, so I had had a period of sobriety at that point and became really convinced that I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. And in hindsight, Dion, one of the things I realized, and this comes from a, a prayer that I'm particularly, um, I'll call it particularly fond of. And in the middle of this prayer says, take away my difficulties at victory over them, may bear witness to those I had helped with thy power, thy love, and the way of life. So all those things that I had hidden for so long, you know, my first 30 years, you know, or 12 to 30-ish, you know, some, somewhere in there, 12-ish to about 30, yep. all those things that I had done drinking that I had not wanted anybody to know about, much of it came out of my book, and I realized that God was putting me in a place that I could be of service through the... the the change that I had had as a result of being wild and crazy and turning it, it over and now living a new life. So those stories, those things that, that happened when I was um, vulnerable and drinking and all those things now became useful stories to help other people. And not just people that had also drank, but people that maybe had other health conditions. And I've had lots of comments or emails from people that said, hey, I read your book. I don't have the, the same condition that you had. I, I have diabetes or some, some other type of thing, but I realized that there's now hope for me. So it doesn't have to necessarily be the same thing to be able to provide hope to somebody else that they too can get past and overcome that adversity, walk through the pain and not sit there and build a condo and live in it forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So listen, let's talk about your, let's talk about this book because you, you've referenced it. Let's, let's dive a little bit more into it. So the book is titled don't fall down, falling down, getting falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up. Okay. So I now understand the stories that helped to contribute to the book. Why did you decide to write it? Well, of course I'm a storyteller. Yep. I, I always kind of had that in there and maybe part of the reason God was using me or, or has used me for that is because he knew that I could tell a story. And so I, I wanted for a while to tell my story. I had other people say that I should write a book because I shouldn't be alive. I should be dead. Somehow I made it through all of that, you know, hitting bottom, going through bottom, however you want to call it. Yep. it. It was a pretty hard skid on the ground. And one day I made up my mind. You know, I had this book, in, you know, in me for a while. One day I made up my mind that I was gonna write it in 90 days. And I ended up writing it in 79 days. Wow. I spent two hours a day, I structured my, my life in a way that I spent two hours a day, 
you'll never believe where I wrote most of it. Where? Starbucks. I was the guy in the corner with the laptop writing his book. I'd go in every day for two hours because I couldn't do it at home. I was too distracted by other things. I mean, just simple things like laundry or going to the kitchen and making a sandwich. But I knew that if I got out of that environment and focused on that one thing, that I would get through it. And an interesting, I expected about, you know, 50 rejections as I was, as I would submit them to publishers, right? I never submitted my book to a publisher. I, I went to a press event in New York City in 2011, ran into a gentleman at the press event, a guy named Rick Fishman, which had published a, a number of other books, a Henry Kissinger book, um, a whole bunch of a slew of other books. I didn't know who he was when I met him. Yep. And I started talking to him and he said, tell me about the book you're writing. And I told him in Within about five minutes, he said, I want to publish your book. So I never submitted my book to any publisher for publication, ever. Even then, I didn't have to submit. He just said he wanted to do it. That was on a Friday. On the following Wednesday, I signed the contract to have the book published. That's amazing. So you wrote this book, and then you have another, right? I I have another. Now, Rick... Uh, he wanted, he's written a a, a number of books, um, including a a lot of stuff like with J. Carmen Levinston, Levinston, which is Father Guerrilla Marketing. But Rick invited me to join him in in another book called The Expert Success Solutions. Both books were number one, a, a number one bestseller on Amazon. My Falling Down, Getting Up book was more my personal story. Yep. The Expert Success Solutions is more a collection of ideas that people can use that they can apply in their business. So they're two totally different books. Absolutely. But, but this first book led to you being included in the second, correct? Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and that's that, that sort of moment of being aligned, right? You yeah. were at this press event, right? You wouldn't have been there probably if the other things in your life had not led to that moment. Uh, You had already decided to write this book. You didn't put it off. You blocked out time. You did the work. You then meet another author at the event who, after pitching a fully, or probably at that moment, uh, a almost fully realized book. I'm not sure. Was it already completed by the time you had met him or no? The, The manuscript was totally written. I still had it edited after that. Okay. But it, it was essentially done. Yeah, right? So, so you're talking about this book. Um, he invites you to, to publish with him. And then you get invited to do the second book with some, some pretty solid names. Like this, yeah. isn't, this isn't just like a, you know, a random occurrence of, of uh, people uh, that have good ideas. These are some pretty solid thinkers. Very much so. And Rick introduced me to Jay Levinson back then while he was still alive. And Jay read my manuscript. He read it twice in the same day when he got it. And he agreed to write the forward to the book. Now, Jay's a marketer. He would typically forward books or contribute to books that were about marketing or about guerrilla marketing. But one of the things that Jay said is that my approach to the challenges that I overcame was that same idea that guerrilla marketing type approach 
to get through those challenges and to come out the other end having a better life. So when you decided that you wanted to uh, write your book, I would imagine, and let me just phrase this because um, authorship has been a really important uh, dynamic to what my audience wants to participate in conversations around. <laughs> I discovered this in the analytics and in qualitative feedback that uh, my audience consists of individuals who uh, aren't just entrepreneurs, but they also want to tell their story. And so I think that that having conversation and delving into the process of authorship has been really rewarding for them. Um, and yeah. it's, it's a lot of the feedback that I get is just how beneficial this particular section is. So I'm going to spend a little bit more time in it just for the sake of them. Perfect. Um, so you were, you were thinking about writing your book. You decided to write it. You sectioned out two hours of your day. You were in Starbucks. Uh, what was your, your social contracts like during that time? Did other folks know that you were writing? Did everyone respect the two hour uh, window that you set aside? Did you have to be firm about your time or um, were you a little loose about it? Like what was your social contracts with folks around you being an author? There, there was a few people that knew. Okay. Most people didn't. Got it. You know, I just went and did it. Um, my brother knew about it that, that I was writing one, one of my brothers. And I don't, I don't remember particularly anybody saying, Oh, come and do this. Oh, you know, Michael's writing his book or, you know, let's go do this or that, or can't, can't you put that off till tomorrow? I don't remember that experience. I just think I was so focused. Got it. On it. Got it. Because I think for, some folks, at least the ones that, that I've spoken to, um, they have roles in their lives that necessitate them showing up. Yeah. And sometimes they have to triage the role that they want to pursue as being not more important than the other roles, just being more timely and relevant to their needs, right? So I'm going to be an author role right now, I'm going to um, be a brother in the time around the two hour block. But for the two hour block, I need to be an author because if I'm anything else, then it's gonna take away from my time writing, which yeah. ultimately does not put me in my best place. Um, right. so, so I think that, that that's great. That, that one shows a supportive community. I think also what it does is it, it allows you, I guess, by not really telling a lot of people to get into a deeply personal space yeah. to be able to write, right? Because you don't have these kind of voices um, curating your story for you. It's just you and a, you know, a frap <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and your, your laptop just kind of knocking it out. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's, I, I don't know how this, came about I, I had the idea of the structure of the book you know there's different ways to put a book together and over 50 percent of the books today are ghostwritten somebody else is writing the book other than the author I wrote my, my own book and I sat down and I wrote out the the TOC the table of contents before 
I wrote out the chapters. I wrote out which each chapter title was going to be, what, what they were all going to be. And then I, would, I wouldn't even necessarily start at one, two, three, four, five chapter. You know, I wrote the first chapter, and then I think I probably wrote the seventh chapter, and then I went back to the second. You know, so it, it was pieced together in a way, almost like sometimes like a movie is written or it's shot. Oftentimes they'll shoot the ending before they even shoot the beginning. Right. And so I knew what I wanted to say. And my intention with the book initially was I'm that 40 year old person, a 40 year old man that was down and out, that was struggling, that needed some inspiration and help in their life. The money didn't matter. Yeah. I never look at my royalty reports. I can't say I never every two or three years. Yeah. It's probably been at least a year since I've looked at my royalty reports from the publisher because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah it yeah. just doesn't matter. But the other thing that, that I found is I attracted a lot of people. Now you can see this, but if somebody's listening on Apple or some somewhere else, they can't see this, but like right back over there yep. is, is Jack Canfield and myself and, and Jack showed up in my life. He was a friend of my brother's, but when we met, he didn't know that I was my brother's brother. Yeah. I'll say it that way. And so Jack ended up helping me with the launch of my book. And in the end, when I was ready to launch it, I had almost, a, we had a list of almost 700,000 people on the list that I mailed to, to sell my book. Wow. Well, when you got a list like that, it went to number one on Amazon in about 90 minutes. Yeah. It just shot to the top. And then the, this other picture over here, you, you might or some of your uh, listeners might know who Bob Proctor is or Mary Morrissey or Gay Hendricks. Um, so that's all of them as, as well. And there's some other people and it's just like, okay, God, who's going to show up next? Yeah. You know, and... I never went out searching for it. It just unfolded, I'll say. Just happened naturally. So what's next for you? Mm. My main passion, and I started out with, with talking a little bit about this, is really helping other people get their stories out. I've really recognized the power of story. I love stories. I love talking about stories. I love help people finding their stories. I love talking to you about stories. I love that you like to bring people on that tell their stories and that you're spreading the, this, the good word that, that you're spreading. Yeah. I just, more and more I do this, I just want to keep doing it. I, I don't feel like there's really anything else that, that I want to do right now except for that. And, and what vehicles are you using to support people telling their story? So... Well, Oh, no, go, please. Okay, yeah, yeah. One, one of them is the company that I co-founded with a, a friend of mine called Endless Stages. And he grew up in the movie industry, was a child actor. And so he has a lot of that, that entertainment industry type background. So the, the two of us combined are really strong. We do speaker training for anything from somebody that wants to do a presentation to a keynote. Um, we also do a lot of podcast training. 
mostly on the guest side right now, but part of our training, we have several hosts that are, are part of it as well that are fairly popular hosts that are really getting a lot out of the perspective that we're bringing to storytelling. So I, I really like that idea. Uh, we're attracting some other people. Uh, my partners worked a lot with Tony Robbins and some other people. So again, a lot of people are showing up just naturally again as, as this is unfolding. And I love it. You know, I, that's, that's beautiful. Listen, I think that everyone can benefit from becoming better listeners and better storytellers, right? And as we we grow in our our passions and our work and our life, uh, the ability to articulate what has happened to us and pull away teachable moments is important, right? It's important to us as parents, important to us as leaders, important to us as as good team members, right? That you can pull a story and and someone can walk away with practical applications of what that story's morale was or what the the reasoning of that story was and i i would add something to that it's just not the listener of the story that benefits it's the storyteller wow yeah you know one, one of the things that, that i found in my storytelling it was very healing i was able to let go a lot of those negative thoughts that i had that low self-esteem. I mean, I'll stand anywhere. I'll talk to anybody. I'll be on any stage. I don't care anymore where before, because I was so uncertain of myself, which that part's still there, but I allow that other part that's stronger to overwhelm that lower self-esteem or that self-doubt, or some people call it the imposter syndrome. I don't like that terminology, but it seems to be really popular right now. It, it is. Uh, I recently had a friend who sent me the definition of imposter syndrome and was like, do you think this is me? And I was like, I don't know, man. I think, I think we're, I think that, that, you know, that we're conditioned all to be imposters in some way. And so the journey is to find your most authentic self. And in that way, the entirety of humankind is imposters, right? We're all taught these societal normative behaviors and ways of thinking and ways of being and, and truly, I think until you find your own voice, right? So you find the, the bell that rings truest for you. Um, that's when you're in the moment that you can say, I'm no longer an imposter. I know who I am. Right. right. And if I, if I can add something to that, a number of years ago, I just randomly happened to hear a minister on the radio. I, I didn't tend to listen to a lot of that yeah. on, on the radio, but I was... Uh, scanning as I was driving down the road and I stopped on this particular show and I, as I was listening to it, he said something really powerful and he was fairly conservative in his, in his approach and you know, he was talking about the Bible. He said, look, the Bible is a collection of stories written by people, whether it's John or Paul or, or any of them, that we're revealing what their experience is. He says, we can read those stories all day long. He says, but until you write your own story, you're living based on somebody else's story. Absolutely. 
So by, by revealing your own self, by revealing your own story, it comes back to what I said a few moments ago about allowing the storyteller that place to also heal, not just the listener of the story. That's pretty profound. Um, wow. Yeah, everyone just sit in that for a second. I think that's awesome, right? Like you just, you can't be pedestrian um, and take a pedestrian approach to life. You can't just consume, consume media, consume uh, information. You, you have to be out there kind of doing the work and, and, and deriving your own story. And from that, it will lead to your own healing and growth and evolution. And hopefully you'll affect some people along the way, right? And you'll positively affect those around you. And you have that moment where um, you're creating community, right? Through, through your own actions and being present in the world. Yeah. I think that's pretty great. All right. So let's, let's, let's have a final point because I want it hot on your podcast uh, support, right? So you're supporting podcasters and podcast guests. Uh, what do you think is the reason for this sort of resurgence of audio media, right? Where do you think that's coming from? Because <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic. You spoke about the radio and there's a ton of people that don't listen to radio, but that will listen to podcasts. And, 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 and people are seeing this kind of resurgence of just wanting to hear and listen. Uh, where do you think that's coming from? I think we're trying to make sense of the world. And we're, we're trying to make sense of life. And, you know, there's a lot of things today that don't make sense about what's going on in the world with the current situation with the war, with environmental changes, all these different things. And people are trying to find meaning for themselves. They're trying to find truth for themselves. And I don't know about you, but I have many friends that seem to be going through a lot of changes and a lot of insight and introspection. And with the podcast, podcast to me is just radio, except it's online, Yep. you know, rather than in the car. Well, now you can get podcasts in the car too. But, <laughs> um, so we're trying to find understanding in the world, which is a good thing because I think it, it gives us that space to heal personally and to, to find other people that may have gone through something similar to us can give us hope that we can go through it too. So, so podcasts might be the new fire, right? The new campfire to surround yeah. yourself around yeah. and listen to stories. Yeah. Uh, this has been great. So, you know, I, well, if you listen to the podcast to its completion, you know that I asked two questions at the end. I ask this of everyone and it's really uh, for folks to connect not only with the person as they represent themselves as a brand, but just to get a little bit more information about them as a person. And, and I've chosen the most like culturally silly thing because I think that, you know, as, as evolved as we can be, there's still a part of us that just likes crap TV that is interested <laughs> in really niche things. And that's absolutely fine. Like we get to be our higher selves and our most ridiculous selves, because that's, that's a part of the human experience. Yep. So what's one thing that you are watching or experiencing on any streaming network that you really, really enjoy? Can I just say one or can I say a couple? 
Oh, you can say a couple. This is, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good for that. We love recommendations here. I am yeah, good for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't watch a lot of um, TV shows at such series. And, you know, what, there's some show called um, The Seal Team. You know, I don't tend to watch those drama type shows as such. Now I'm going to contradict myself. Okay. And this is an emotional side of me because, you know, I look at the news and the things that are happening in, in the news and, you know, they talk about diseases and then they have commercials about taking some kind of drug that you can't pronounce for a disease you don't even know that you have, right? Yeah. So I'll go channel surfing and one of the places that I land, and I don't say this to very many people, so this is like kind of full disclosure, I like watching some of those Hallmark love sh movies. All right. Know? All right. It's, it's like a good feeling. It's like, wow, these people are connecting on a really nice level. Yeah. Now, the story's all the same. Every single one of those movies, the story's the same. Maybe the background's different or, or the actors, but some of the actors are even the same in, in the different movies. <laughs> but, you know, it's that idea of romance and love and that not everything is um you know blowing up yeah. right so, so so that's one of them the other is i like nature shows a lot i've been finding myself just like i can't watch any of those news stations but if there's a show about the serengeti and the elephants yeah i like that yeah so do i yeah so do i <laughs> i think i think it's it's one of those things where you just get to be in awe of of how wonderful and glorious nature can be it's uh it's pretty fantastic to witness so listen guys if you haven't taken the time throw that into your netflix search or amazon search wherever you're looking for stuff um put in you know a lot of the the, the titles are really similar right so it's like the blue earth or the green world or what just <laughs> just just start playing around with some th those types of of uh keywords and I think you'll come up with some really, really cool watching. So you got any more recommendations? I'm here for it. I'm kind of liking these. I mean, as far as TV? Yeah, or just what you're, what you're watching. What are you consuming? Well, a, a, another one that's kind of obscure, that, that's kind of funny is, and I don't have it right, right in front of me. I, you know, I go out in the woods a lot. And I came across a rather large print that I did not know what it was. Okay. You know, my foot's maybe about this big. This print was like about this big. I got a picture. All right, so this, to describe it, your foot's about nine and a half? A ten, ten, ten and a half. Okay, ten and a half. And the, the print looks to be about 13, 14? Uh, 20. 20, okay. See, that? okay, great. That, that, that puts some clarity there. 20-foot yeah. print is pretty large. Yeah, it's got toes in the end. It's got wow. a heel. It was in snow. There was patches of snow that was mostly dirt, but there was patches of snow. It was an impression deep into the snow. I'm not saying what it is or what it is, and I don't know. Yeah. But my first look at it was, holy crap, is that Sasquatch? Ooh. I mean, that, that, that was my thought, right? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether Sasquatch exists or not. There's a part of me that wants it to exist, and there's a part of me that's very skeptical and doubtful about it. Yes. And we don't have enough time to go into all of it, but 
another show that if I if I'm channel surfing and there's one of those Bigfoot shows on, I'll go, okay, who's that? There's some goofy ones. There's yeah, some yeah. real goofy characters out there doing that Bigfoot chasing. Yeah. But then there's a couple of scientists that are bringing science to the search, so to speak. And those shows I like to watch are the more the science-based ones. Huh. So I also want the Sasquatch to be real. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think that there's a few of them, right? The Loch Ness. Like, there's a few of these kind of um, uh, uh, creatures, for lack of a better term, right? Because we, we don't quite know what their, their makeup is, um, that have floated around myth um, and uh, that's captured fascinations, sightings, footprints, photos, right? And and there's a part of me that wants this to be real and not a collective delusion around uh, <laughs> the existence of this thing, right? right? right. And, and, and not only do I think I want it to be real, I think I want it to be real and for humans to never discover it. I don't know if that makes sense, right? But I, there's a space where it's real and it's, it's never going to be dissected. It's never going to be, you know, um, uh, manipulated for public consumption, that this thing just exists and exists in harmony in, in, with nature. And we all can maybe catch a glimpse of it, but in fact, we'll never actually see it. So yeah. I'm completely in alignment with that. Yeah. All right, so the second question, which you may have already answered, but I'm still gonna give you an opportunity to, okay. to provide an alternate answer. Okay. What's something that you're consuming that people would be surprised to find out that you actually really enjoy. When you say consuming, do you mean in media? What do you mean? Well, so, so we talked about um, watching on a streaming network. Now we're just talking about consumption, right? So it could be radio, it could be streaming, it could be a movie, it could be whatever you like, right? So what are you, what are you currently engaged with that, uh, if I was to tell someone, if I was talking to your brother, and I was like, hey, do you know Michael watched this show? He'd be like, really? I didn't even know that. What's yeah. something like that for you? Um, now, now you got me thinking, other than what I already said, I probably could have thrown that the Bigfoot thing in there. <laughs> you could have. You could have. Yeah. Because um, again, I, I don't really watch the, the dramas. I'm looking for a good movie. I don't know what good movies are out there okay. um th there's a lot of them that i like i stay i tend to stay away from the oh you know the kidnap type movies you know i, I don't like those too much yeah um i i do again this is a, a, a perhaps a, a another little rabbit hole but um I, I help with a five-year-old girl that was adopted at birth by my ex, yeah. right? So I, I have this joy of having this five-year-old girl in my life that's growing very rapidly. You know, pretty soon she's going to be six, seven, eight. One of the things that I consume with her are some of those kids' cartoons. Yeah. And I love those kids' cartoons. You know, and she loves them, you know, and it doesn't matter which one it is, whether it, it's more 
you know, the girly type cartoons or the boy type cartoons or the lesson type cartoons. We'll do a lot of that or we'll get online and go to some uh, website and uh, create a cake, you know, and she'll like pull the candles and the frosting and, and all, all that over as well. So that would probably be another one that some people might be surprised that, that I do. They might not. But I like it that I'm older. I got this young child in my life right now that's given me the opportunity to let my five-year-old out and to watch these cartoons, which are different than what I saw as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I watch things now, uh, those sorts of programming, and they're really getting sneaky with the learning sections. Like, they, they sneak in, uh, like, like, little, you know, um, pronunciations, uh, a lot of, like, um, foreign language exercises. Like, they're really, yeah. really teaching and teaching in a way that's really fun for kids. And I didn't have that. I was into, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, you know, <laughs> yeah. He-Man, which only taught me toxic masculinity. Kidding, yeah. kidding, I love He-Man. Uh, yeah. But um, in a way, I think that, that there's so much interesting stuff happening with the cross-section of learning in kids' programming. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm gonna add something that just popped into my mind. Shortly before my water skiing accident as a kid, Again, I, I was 12 years old. We were at the Oregon coast. And, you know, I, I was a big fan of Batman and, and all of that, right? Okay. Batman and, and Robin. And we're down in a little town called Gearheart, Oregon, which we'd go to all the time. And we'd stay for a couple of weeks or a month or so. And my brother and I are, are walking down the street. And who comes out with their daughter? None other than Batman and Adam West, wow. you know, and it's just like, here I am 12 years old, I meet Batman, and I get a crush on his daughter, his daughter's 12, also, <laughs> and my brother and I kind of wanted to fight over her, you know, <laughs> awesome. but it was just like my childhood dream, you know, how do you meet Batman walking down the street on the Oregon coast? Yeah, right? yeah, Adam West, Adam West is, uh, he's getting a resurgence in the last few years, I think yeah. that that folks are really starting to respect his Batman. I think yeah. that if you're a newer person to the Batman franchise, then you think Clooney or you think uh, Michael Keaton. Is Michael Keaton? Yeah, yeah Michael Keaton. Um, or most recently, uh, Rob Patterson. But there's there's a specific space for Adam West that, that I think um, had a very clear balance of the Batman persona but also being funny and lighthearted yeah. and the bruce wayne persona and it, it was yep. just kind of cool um i think now to see people respect that iteration of batman and and yeah. what that batman uh had in terms of influence on the generation that grew up watching yeah ab absolutely he deserves and, it he did the work he definitely yeah did the work. yeah he was the first he was the first and yeah. the best in my opinion sort of like the first james bond you know except it was batman Exactly. Exactly. All right. All right, Michael. So listen, uh, if someone wants to get in contact with you because they want to uh, become a better speaker, they're interested in uh, what you're doing on your platforms and your business, how would they be able to reach out to you? Well, one of the things, again, we're really passionate about helping people get their stories out. 
Um, so we have some free resources that people can use. They go to endlessstages.com and from that point, they can become a member of our Endless Stages group. There's no charge, it's all free. And then there's access to a fairly in-depth membership site with a number of modules. It's all, it's all free, it's all complimentary. And it's everything from um, protecting your voice, getting over uh, uh, nervousness and stage fright, writing your story. There's a whole bunch of different modules in there that they can access and begin to utilize um, and to see, especially if, if they're a newer speaker or newer at storytelling, our hope is that it will ignite them and it will accelerate their desire to get out and speak. Because sometimes that's all we need. We, all, we just need that little spark yep. to get going. That spark can turn into a flame, right? Absolutely. And I see it over and over. I've seen it in me. I've seen it in, in other people. So if any of the listeners want that spark, just go to endlessstages.com, join our group. You'll get access to the, the membership site as well as a number of downloads and books and, and everything else. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing those free resources. That's yeah. amazing. All right, guys. So we've been sitting here. We've been chatting with Michael for the hour. And I think that uh, everyone who's listening is going to walk away with something. We've, we've touched on spirituality. We've touched on um, telling your story. We've touched on overcoming adversity. Uh, there's so many little pieces in this conversation that we could dissect and go further into because there's so much here. There's so much meat here. So if you want to connect with Michael, please go to endlessstages.com. Uh, you'll be able to connect with the material and the work there. Um, I would recommend that you all take some time, think about your story, divide your life into parts, figure out some of the pieces that you can pull from your story and use those pieces to teach, to learn, to heal. Thank you so much, Michael Harris. I appreciate your time on this podcast. I think it was a great conversation. You have any closing thoughts? No, I, I just, again, and I've, I've said this, Dion, I really appreciate what you're doing. I really appreciate being invited to, to be on your show and to really help spread the message that we all have messages and that um, it might be time to ignite those messages and let them out into the world. Absolutely. We appreciate you for sharing your message with us. And uh, we hope to have you on in a future date so that we can follow up and dig into some of the stuff that we talked about. Like I'm, I'm interested to hear more about those pies. I want to know about those pies <laughs> and I want to know how much profit was there in selling pies. Anyway, guys, this is Dion Brown. You're listening to man versus brand. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael, our, our guest. Thank you guys for listening and supporting the please follow on all social media platforms and check out the website, manversusbrand.com. Thank you guys so much. Have a great week. Bye. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.